And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. This will be our last 2023 interview involving Nan Calvert. Where has the time gone? Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> and it's always a fun time with Nan Calvert as she brings uh, on a monthly basis uh, various guests uh, to the morning show that help us think about uh, the natural world around us in, in, in new and different ways, uh, heightening our, our, our understanding and appreciation and concern for the well-being of, of, of the planet on which we live. And uh, certainly this uh, final interview of 2023 is very much in that spirit. We are welcoming into our studios today two staff members from uh, the Humble Oak Folk School, which I believe operates under the auspices of the Humble Oaks Outdoor Learning and Arts Collective. And we are going to be finding out all about that from Erin uh, Houlihan, who is director, and Ellie Barbeau, who is one of the folk school instructors. Uh, so we welcome all three of you to the morning show. Glad that you are here. Thank, Thank you. So, Nan, tell <laughs> us kind of the interesting story of how you uh, came to know about the Humble Oak Folk School, which I guess I neglected to mention is located on the outskirts of East Troy. Mm -hmm. So not just down the block, but, uh, but certainly right here in southeastern Wisconsin. Absolutely, yes. So somehow or another, I connected with their other <coughs> co-founder, co-director, uh, Jody Janovic. And I think probably through Fiber Arts, she and I are both uh, felters as well as other things. And she mentioned Humble Oak, and I said, what is that? And she told me all about it, and I thought, wow, people need to know that right here uh, in southeastern Wisconsin, we have a folk school. Uh, perhaps our listeners have heard of North House Folk School in Minnesota and the Driftless Folk School here in Wisconsin. And folk schools <clears throat> teach an amazing array of things, literally from A to Z. Um, and many of them, like Humble Oak, also have a focus on the environment, native plants, getting rid of invasives, which is, you know, music <laughs> to my heart. Uh, and so I thought, yeah, we need people to come out, take classes, support the school, um, uh, and, and see what they're doing, not only with uh, community outreach for adults and families, but also uh, their, their living school, which has to do with educating young people. So that's why we're all here today. Very good. So, so glad that... Uh Aaron Houlihan and Ellie Barbo have made the trip from East Troy to be with us uh, in studio, in person, to uh, talk about the Humble Oak Folk School. So first of all, since it's your first visit, it would be good to learn a little bit about each of you in terms of where you come from and maybe a, a bit about how for each of you, uh, you have come to embrace the values that you do in terms of the world around us and so on. Erin uh, Houlihan, let's let's begin with you. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners about where you're from originally, and so on. I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, and I feel like I, in in some ways, coming full circle, my childhood was filled with playing outside. So I was fortunate to be one of those children who got to go out and about, and we rode our bikes everywhere. We had a little creek that we would play in. We had fields that we'd go and collect butterflies and grasshoppers and did that for most of the day until, you know, my mom would call us in at night and then we'd still play games at night around the house. So that was, I think, um, the initial impulse, um, you know, that leads me to where I'm at now. I uh, went to school thinking that I would go into outdoor occupational therapy. And in some respects, 
I feel as if I'm also doing that because um, each day that we are outside with the children or or the adults, it feels like it's healing work. Um, I think I've come to believe that we all have the capacity to heal in different sorts of ways and the trees and the woods and the plants and the animals um, are such healing elements for each of us. So. Um, like I get to do that but I did land um, after school in uh, Montessori school so I went to do my teacher training in Montessori. I, I love being with young children. Um, I certainly resonated with them early on. I was a babysitter and I was a good babysitter and um, so I appreciated doing that work and you know what drew me to Montessori was the following the child like that was how it was you know expressed as a teacher what you would do is really follow the interests of the children and I liked that idea so did that for a few years um, and in that space found a school that was working more outside with children so I knew that that element um, continued to to be a part of where I was headed and then within that space, you know, kind of was feeling like that wasn't quite uh, meeting my needs professionally and then discovered Waldorf education, which uh, added a lot of the artistic pieces and a little bit of a, a soul-spiritual connection work with the children, so a little bit deeper element there. Um, and so then was fortunate to find a position in a Waldorf school and I really enjoyed that and learned a lot and grew as a teacher. But then even there, I kept on, you know, feeling like we need to get outside. And, you know, I'd, a lot of times, you know, you'd have children who had a lot of energy and, and sometimes the room would be so loud and noisy. And, and I felt like I needed to, you know, maybe get outside. And so, um, you know, was lucky and fortunate within that school to, to you know, bring the children outside more. But then um, eventually, you know, was really feeling called to, to maybe do something a little bit beyond those boundaries. So I left um, a teaching position and really started on a new venture in the backyard of my house, just a little piece of woods, and had five children. We called it Violet Glen, and it was really considered a, a whole child-centered learning um, program. So, you know, it was a combination of all the different um, inspirations that I had gathered along the way. And I liked, as a teacher, I like to really be open. I don't like to just, you know, um, take one track when I'm working with children because they're all different and their needs are all different. So I, I valued being able to really, really meet their needs and to um, find ways to to um, take advantage of the gifts that young children come into the world with that wonder and awe and curiosity. And um, when I was in college, I was in a group, a uh, peer resource group, and we would take other college students out on adventures. And um, it was with the premise that this benefit of meeting your edge and the, the learning that mm. you receive when you are kind of pushed to the edge of your comfort zone and then very, you know, gently supported in that space. And then um, how that, uh, you know, builds your confidence, how that changes you. And I witnessed that over and over again with these students. And I really appreciated and enjoyed, um, you know, 
being accompanying people in that that place and so I feel like in many ways uh, the work with the children now is supporting them in their growth and you know nourishing those qualities that bring us joy and happiness but then also understanding that you know we need resilience and strength and courage um, for many parts of our life as we get older and so providing those opportunities within the natural world so that um, they can discover what's a part of what's inside of them so um, you know Violet Glen that I started at my house got to be big enough that um, a group of us then wanted to create a bigger space so that more children could be a part of that and and then did a lot of work investing into how we could offer an opportunity in the woods uh, for Humble Oak and and now we're in our second year there so it's been a long long time um, work work in progress and, mm. and continues to be exciting yeah. and it's fun that we can have this conversation at this point in time when yeah. this is just taking off in some really exciting ways uh ellie barbo let's uh, find out uh, mm. a, a little bit about where you're from originally and uh if your path that uh ended up here at uh, humble oak uh is in any way similar to uh the story that aaron just told Sure. So um, I grew up in southeast Wisconsin in the Waukesha area, and um, I came into the space with Humble Oak. Um, my husband and I, currently we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and about early on with um, our firstborn daughter, we knew that, uh, you know, a kind of outdoor-centered uh, education was going to be really important, especially in the early years um, of our children's education. So early on, we kind of looked at different options in the area, and it's it's hard to find. It's hard to find something that's, you know, affordable, that's in the distance, that is feasible to drive. And um, kind of happenstance, I came across um, the Violet Glen blog early mm. on. And I did a little research, and it looked like right as I was looking into it was when um, Humble Oak was on the cusp of transitioning to their now 80-acre um, wooded property. And we, I looked at that that afternoon. Um, I emailed Aaron, and, you know, we met. And my husband and I were so excited to, you know, find this community. We didn't really know what to expect. We just kind of were in this for... Um, the aspect of an educational experience that we wanted for our, our three-year-old at the time. So you weren't necessarily <clears throat> looking for some kind of professional opportunity no, no. for you. No, no. And um, so we met with Aaron and it, you know, I remember my husband and I walking away back to our car and it was like, this is, this is what we're looking for, you know? And um, so our daughter went to the living school two days a week, and it's all outside. There's a beautiful yurt as the classroom. You know, she would run up to the yurt and, um, you know, start her day and come home, and she'd smell of wood smoke and have grass in her hair and be so muddy and just, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing experience to be able to watch you know, children go through that. And, um, yeah, so that's how we came across Humble Oak. And, um, again, we thought it was just going to be the educational experience for our children, and it has turned into so much more. It has really, you know, changed our family in a lot of ways and the direction that we are taking our our life as a family. And um, 
Jody Janovic, who again is the uh, the other kind of founder of Humble Oak. Um, early on when I met her, she expressed that she was excited to kind of delve into this the folk school aspect because. Um, I mean, really, I think the heart of Humble Oak is the children and the outdoor living school um, experience because I know Aaron has said before, like, the children are our best teachers. So they really are at the heart of this Humble Oak trunk of the tree. And um, Jody was looking to branch out with the folk school. And I was very excited about that prospect. Again, I was just a parent wanting to be involved with the community. And... Um, you know, it really spoke to me because I am just a dabbler in life. Mm. I feel like I have done a million things, been about seven different versions of myself, and I'm always still trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. So um, <laughs> to do that with Jody, I was really excited. We kind of, you know, put put a lot of thought into that. And, um, yeah, I, I've been helping out with the folk school, and the first class for the folk school was in September. And um, so that's kind of where I'm putting my energy right now. I have taught a few classes, but, you know, with the folk school, we have about 10 different instructors that we are currently either scheduled to have teaching classes or are in the works of upcoming classes. So it's a really exciting time for both the living school and the children and this new precipice of, um, you know, the adult education folk school. Very good. For those of you just joining us on today's morning show, this is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the program, and she has arranged for a visit uh, to the morning show from two staff members from uh, the Humble Oak Outdoor Learning and Arts Collective, and specifically the Humble Oak Folk School. Erin uh, Houlihan, who is director, and Ellie Barbo, who is uh, one of the folk school uh, instructors. By the way, Ellie, as you were talking about things, uh, you made mention of the yurt, which I think is Y-U-R-T. And I, I saw that term at some point on your website, something about a class that had to be postponed until the yurt could be finished or something. So explain to our listeners and to me uh, what the yurt is. Sure. I'll let Aaron explain a little bit of that because that's um, two beautiful structures. We started with one yurt and now the living school has two. Um, but I'll let her explain that. Yeah, the yurt is a round structure. Um, it's a beautifully built structure. So we, um, Great Lakes Yurt is where we got our yurts. And we needed to have a non-permanent shelter in the woods that we're at. So the yurt is considered a non-permanent shelter because technically you could fold it up and put it on a big trailer and, and, and move it someplace. And um, we like the idea of it being circular and round when we're in the yurt. Um, it, um, you know, you, there's no corners, so it feels like a warm space. And we have a little furnace in there, so with um, a propane gas that's heated with, so we have some heat in there. And it's all, um, you know, being an outdoor program in winter in Wisconsin, we knew that we did need a space to go to for when it was necessary. And um, so it's the yurt exists because of the collective contributions and donations from our community. You know, when we started on this endeavor, we were not, um, didn't have a lot of finances that we could bring with us. And so we, you know, needed to collectively utilize what is available. And it's been through those contributions of our community that we, you know, established our first yurt 
and um, it was just in the last month that the second yurt for the beavers and the hawk program, the older kids, it, that yurt got finished. So last year, our older children utilized two yurt tents, so tents that look like yurts, and um, they did awesome. <laughs> so they were certainly building their resilience, but now we have two yurt structures um, in the woods that we can use for our supplies and to gather in when it's cold and um, it feels very simple and minimalistic but um, you know certainly we are grateful for that that shelter that we mm. get to utilize so for people who don't know how a yurt is constructed <laughs> what it's made of can you give a few details about that how many people can be in the yurt uh, the, we have a 24-foot yurt, and that's, I think, capacity-wise is like 40, 35 to 40, like, you know, but that would be scrunched in. Mm -hmm. We have, our class sizes range from like 12 to 14 children, and we're comfortable in there with our supplies. Um, it's, there's a lattice framework that is the outside of it, so when the yurt is being constructed, the, the platform is really the, the most challenging aspect of it, just to get that level and, and foundation. But as far as putting up the yurt itself, it was, the last one was like a one-day project. It's like a kit <clears throat> that comes in a big box. And um, the whole circular frame is a lattice structure. And, um, you know, it's got the dome on the top, and it's really beautiful before we, of course, we have to insulate ours, so we have you know two layers of insulation around the yurt. Um, but it it um, feel or it smells like wood when we go in there. I mean, it definitely has um, such comfortable warming aspects of it. Our second yurt is 20 foot um, wide, so that one is a little bit smaller and. Um, but it feels a little bit cozier, and it's, it's you know, our beaver and hawk groups. They range from 12 to 15, and that's a big enough space for them all to be in there and, and be working or having lunch at the same time. So, you know, part of our uh, program and our organization is really wanting to be thoughtful of all the decisions that we're making. So each time, you know, we need to purchase something or... Uh, create a solution to a problem we're really looking to um, be regenerative and sustainable in our decisions and so the yurts felt like you know it wasn't too much but enough you know to fit the needs that we have and we're grateful for mm -hmm. that simple space that we can use. So when you made the move from your own backyard to this 80 acres of, of property just uh, tell us first of all what kind of a place were you looking for? And ultimately, what do we find on these 80 acres where you are now located? Well, we were looking for more space. Um, the little woods that we had utilized at Violet Glen was certainly treasured and, and served its purpose. But as the program expanded and grew, it kind of felt like we were, um, like that woods needed a little rest. It certainly felt kind of small for the mm. amount of children that were in there playing. And so we, you know, and, and wanted to really be have a place where kids could explore, like they could go into the woods and, and get kind of lost and explore. So that that um, expansiveness and the wood lot, which I initially knew this um, piece of land as it um, was an exceptional kind of place where 
it was pretty quiet. Like it was, you know, these 80 acres that only like, you know, certain people who kind of knew of it would go there and walk. So it was a place that mm. I could go and usually saw, didn't see anyone. So it felt um, pretty uninhabited and pretty untouched. Um, so there was that gift to it. And initially when that, you know, piece of woods was owned, I know that it was, you know, they had wanted it to, to be used for educational purposes. So I had in the back of my mind, you know, this piece of woods. And um, at the same time, you know, we knew that if we'd be bringing more kids there and more people there, that quietness of the space would, would change. Like it would, you know, it would bring more activity. It would bring, you know, more um, the, the impact of having more people there. So it was really a process of sort of like asking permission, you know, really feeling like um, the woods was a place that, um, you know, wanted the children to come. And, and through that process, you know, we felt like um, this would be the right space. And, you know, it's certainly a healing piece of land. And um, so uh, we were given permission to be licensed to do the program there. And we really feel like um, the the connection that the children have with the woods, you know, our hope is that it's serving that piece of land just as much as the people are getting served mm. from the energies of the land. So, you know, we don't want to extract and take and just, you know, be takers from that the woods. We want to be putting our energy back in so that we're nourishing that piece of land through our stewardship and just through the care and love that in the children they they naturally are inclined to to have an affection and a, a deep relationship so mm. you know we we hope to be regenerative in our relationship there I want to talk about the folk school and then after that uh, talk at least a little bit about a living school which is that that piece of all this which involves uh, uh, children. Ellie Barbeau, you're one of the uh, 10 instructors in the folk school. So tell us more about the array of offerings and, uh, and what it has been like for you to be uh, such an integral part of that. Sure. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, you know, and kind of first and foremost, when Jody and I were talking about the folk school and how, you know, we could um, let it uh, take shape in the community that we live in, you know, we looked at big folk schools like North House Folk School in, um, up in northern Minnesota and the Driftless Folk School out in Viroqua and John C. Campbell. Those are all, you know, really leading the way for, for folk schools. And that's a, a big movement. And it's, I think, a necessary movement for the changes that, you know, are going on in society. And, um, you know, we've talked to other people in the kind of the folk school world and they can change the world. They can change how people see, um, you know, their perspective of things. So it's really exciting. But, um, yeah, right now where we are is, again, we offered our first class in September. And we are really looking to not only offer, you know, hands-on experiences with traditional crafts, um, but also kind of tap into, like, the, you know, not only the hands, but the heart and mind aspect of, you know, learning and adding richness to to, um, you know, adult education and life skills. Um, so 
a little snippet of what we have offered. I have taught a knitting class. We've had an herbalism class. Um, we also, just a few weeks ago, I taught a how to spin yarn class. So taking, mm. you know, fiber from the farm, from a sheep, and then turning it and spinning it into your own yarn. And coming up um, in the new year, we have classes ranging from um, an introduction to, um, you know, wild edible mushroom foraging, um, wet felting. There's going to be a bike tuning, bicycle tuning. There's going to be a seed saving course. Um, there's going to be a broom making course. Linda Conroy, who is, um, you know, a wonderful uh, educator in South Southeast Wisconsin for a myriad of different um, topics. We'll be teaching a compassionate communication course. Uh, she'll be teaching a foraging course and a pine needle basketry course. So we really have a lot going on, a lot in the works. Um, you know, another snippet, we're kind of, we're in the works with an instructor to have like a drumming class, you know, how to integrate drumming and wellness um, into, into the space. And it's just we are so fortunate to, you know, be in the area that we are because it's such a rich area to tap into. There's so many artists and makers and craftspeople and just, you know, people doing interesting things that, you know, bring a lot of value to the community. And to be able to share that is is huge. So that's where we are with the folk school right now. Hmm. I know that, for instance, uh, one of the courses coming up that you will be teaching is on broom making. Mm-hmm. So I just want to hear from you directly uh, the benefit of being part of that because I have a feeling it has a lot more to do with than just I need another broom. I'm going to make a broom and so on. I suspect just the act of learning how to do that and the doing is a lot more than just creating a broom. Sure. So um, that is a, a relatively new skill for me. Um, I've learned it probably about a year and a half ago, but you know, I, I again, I'm a dabbler, so I caught onto it. I kind of delved into it, but you know, it's a really exciting thing to, you know, one have a lot of people that are like experts in the crafts that they teach. Um, but for example, with this broom making class that I will be teaching. I'm learning too, and it's a mm -hmm. skill, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to share with the community that you don't have to be an expert. I'm going to be learning right alongside these students, but it's something that I've enjoyed doing, and I'm excited to share. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's not only about the process of, you know, inviting students and participants to make something with their own hands and leave the class with, you know, a product that they made and can be proud of, but it's also that sense of, how important it is to gather as a community, make something together, and learn from one another. Mm. So, sure, we have a lot of um, you know experts and people that you know. For example, the a ceramics teacher, um, he's a professor. He'll be teaching. You know, he's he's an expert in his field. Um, that's what he teaches. But then there's you know other um, instructors that we have, like myself with the broom making, that it's a skill that we'd like to share. Um, I've also taught a spinning course and, you know, I'm much more seasoned in spinning, mm. which is exciting to teach. But, um, you know, Jody and I and some of the other, um, you know, people involved with this folk school wanted to make sure that, um, you know, the offer to learn skills and to share skills was open to everybody because I think mm. that's important. It can be intimidating to, you know, to always need to find the you know, a person at the top of their field or that kind of thing. So skill sharing is a really important idea to us. I love that. 
And I think, too, you know, <clears throat> you can go into any big box store or any store and you can buy a broom and it's all plastic. Every last bit of it is mm -hmm. plastic. So eventually it ends up in the landfill to live there forever, sadly. But when you make a broom, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ellie, it's all natural materials. So it becomes also a beautiful work of art that's useful and I think everything should be beautiful and useful and then when you look at this thing that you made <clears throat> you suddenly sort of have pride of ownership in a way and you think about all of the people who've come before you who've made their brooms because they had to because we didn't have big box stores <laughs> or, or some store to go get a, a plastic broom so if you've ever seen any handmade brooms they're really really lovely mm -hmm. yeah and I'm really glad you brought that up because um, you know with the living school and the folk school, it is a, a very big, important value, um, you know, to both missions of the living school and the folk school that, you know, we be very conscientious about, you know, the supplies that we use, um, the resources that, you know, we tap into, um, you know, where we get the supplies, you know, really um, putting an emphasis on natural and regenerative resources, local resources. So that's a very, a very big concept that. Yeah, and yeah. that's part of that living school because we're all needing <laughs> to practice living, regenerative living practices. So all of the decisions that we make with the folk school or the living school is also with the effort for us as adults to learn new ways of engaging with the earth so that we are not um, creating so much harm. And, you know, there's a lot of healing that has to happen in a, a real serious way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, taking that responsibility serious. So as we're learning as adults, you know, the in the living school, we had the children brushing the broom corn and they're you know learning that skill not like a class in the folk skill or folk school but they're they're practicing you know having a relationship with that broom corn and then we make little simple brooms and then it's like oh like this doesn't have to come from the store i can actually <laughs> grow this or find this within the woods and 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 you know make things that i can use and then they can go back to the earth and um, so it's real, yeah, that real thoughtfulness in all of the decisions. Can you tell us more about uh, the decision to call this a living school? That is this program that involves uh, children of various ages, but it's, it's an intriguing name. Yeah, well, because it is, we, you know, I think anytime you... Um, sort of peg yourself into being something and doing something in a certain way, you begin to lose sight of the unfolding presence that is before us. And so, you know, we want to be aware and present to what the needs are in that moment. And, you know, in this moment, we can see, you know, recognize the needs for the children, the needs for us as adults, and, and then make decisions based on that. But we want to continue to be fresh in that perspective so that we don't just continue to do something only because that's what we've always done or that's what we do. But 
Um, so we really, and I guess that's part of the humble oak. You know, I mean, when we were deciding a name for this program, it was a really big task. You know, what are we going to call ourselves? Like, what is this? And um, that humble word was important because, you know, if we're humble enough to always be learning and you know if I say that I know this is the way to do it and this is how we're going to do it then I lose the perspective of being aware of changing something so that it can accurately meet the the children's needs or the needs of the community and so when it's living we see it as um, it continued to grow and evolve and shift and change and we are you know willing and open to you know recognizing that and shifting within that so it's challenging you know mm -hmm. it's much easier to have like a list to say you know this is what you do every day and this is how it gets done um, but it's super you know powerful and enlivening to be able to approach each day and really be present with the needs of the people that you're with and to you know make um, the decisions based on that mm. so yeah maybe you could just uh, briefly explain uh in terms of what is offered through a living school with these three tiers the squirrels and the beavers and the hawks depending on on the age groups but but what kind of an education this is and in a sense if it is intended to be uh, a child's whole educational experience or something uh, that is folded into something else that they're already experiencing? Yeah, so we have um, the squirrels and the beavers and the hawks. That's the names that we've given the, the different age groups. And so our youngest um, group of children right now are the squirrels, and that's typically ages three to six or seven. And that is, you know, and all of our programs are mostly outdoor based, but the squirrels is primarily play based and um, adventure based. So we go out into the woods and, and we play and, and go on adventures and a place where they can be in social um, interaction with their peers. So I, you know, through my experience of being with young children, I find such deep value for them in being able to play. Um, expand and experiment with their imagination, but then also to engage and interact with their friends. And there's so much learning that goes mm -hmm. on just in those simple um, opportunities that are given to them. And that really is space and time. So we give them space and time to, to play and grow and learn. And then in that time as the adults you know we have meaningful work and projects that we're working on that's related to the season so we're trying to you know um, if it's a growing season then that has to do with you know seeds and planting and, and weeding and tending or if it's harvesting you know we're we're um, connected with uh, the plants in the woods so we might be you know pulling vines out to be used for basketry or for um, for wreaths and so we, you know, as the adults are practicing meaningful work, and then the children can be engaged in that, but they're not required to. They, we really allow them to use their time, uh, you know, meaningful for them. And some of them want to be working, and they're, they're whittling, or they're, they're making um, pencils, or, you know, they're making mud cakes. There's all different variety. Um, and then... Our beaver group, which is ages typically 10 or 7 to 10, that is um, a little bit more project-based. So we, you know, we certainly have 
certain projects that we're working on again in relationship to the season. Um, it's you know the the play is a little bit more games, so hmm. they love games, love love games. Like we got a lot of games going mm-hmm. on, so that play is you know continues to be there but in a little bit different way and within the games there's so much learning that goes on with you know competition and and you're supporting one another and you're you know discovering your own capacities and skills and then also you know they go out and go for a walk in the woods so that um and we're giving them a little bit more um you know content that like knowledge-based content as far as the names of the trees and and really discovering a little bit more of the detail of the the beings that we're sharing that space with and you know beginning to have conversations like council we call it so when they come together and if there is an issue that comes up within the day we help them practice good communication skills how you share and that so you know we're really trying to tend to some of these areas that in our fast-paced systems and world uh, and, you know, that is largely, you know, they're on devices and, and communicating that kind of way where they can begin to learn how to express themselves, how to listen to others, how to work in community with one another. Um, and, you know, in all of it, you know, whether it be the squirrels, the beavers or the hawks, we're really wanting to tend to each child's, we call it like the inner spark. So mm. like that, that. You know, we believe that we've all come into the world with a capacity, a unique capacity, you know, of, of how we flourish and, and the gifts that we bring. So we are trying to really tend to that inner spark. And so the Hawks is our oldest group, and they're 11 to 14. And that becomes, again, a little bit more individual, and we're wanting to really um, engage in their passion. So if there's something that they're really curious about, you know, we're trying to provide the tools and the resources for them to expand in that curiosity and, you know, maybe create something. And that's a little bit deeper um, council communication work, so giving them a little bit more responsibility, you know, with the craft fair that we just had. We had the Hawks kind of overseeing the, the student table and, and the logistics mm. of that and, um, you know, wanting their their voice to be heard and to let them know that, you know, it's important. And we're still evolving in how we can bring their voice into our um, our organizational spaces. Like we, you know, we have a board and we'd love to have a student representative, you know, mm. be a part of our board so that they can feel like, their voice has meaning. Um, but then also with the oldest kids, we like to go around and go on adventures in the wider community. So get to know what people are doing, um, you know, the whole place-based, land-based, community-based, really deeply getting to know their surroundings in a way that we don't as easily get to do that often. Mm. You know, we're a little bit more in our individual, you know, closed spaces. So. Right. I wanted to ask you uh, about something on your website that intrigued me very much, uh, and I hope I can read my handwriting, where it said, uh, through active engagement in an asset-framing mindset, we will strive to always see uh, each uh, individual's best light and, and appreciate uh, our work and, and humbly uh, respect and care. Um, I am so intrigued by that, those words, asset framing, through active engagement in an asset framing mindset. Uh, explain what's behind those words. 
It's um, the approach of, you know, I guess if you're in a classroom with children, let's say, and you have the kids that are getting into trouble, you know, and, and they're, you know, have to go out in the hall or have to, you know, they get a punishment or, you know, they can't do this because they're not um, being, they're not able to go along with the flow for the rest of the kids. So asset framing mindset is looking at each individual and recognizing their gifts that they bring. So that's every individual child. And, you know, also recognizing the challenges that they may carry, but seeing that as how we can uh, shift and accommodate the space and the environment and the circumstance so that their best light can show. So mm -hmm. it's, and that is with everyone. So, you know, every time we have someone who, let's say, joins our board or becomes a part of our committee or, you know, is a staff member or a parent in our community, we are trying to see everyone's best light and make a space for that rather than, well, they don't do this or, you know, like, um, you know, see the negative of the, the interaction or engagement. It's looking to see what gifts each individual brings and how we can create space and um, nourish and manifest that light. So it's, in the work with the children, it's super important. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's creating room and space for every child. And that's a, you know, a big responsibility. But if, when you begin to practice in that way, um, it becomes exciting because everyone then can feel like there's room for me. And mm. we all have our challenges and we, you know, to see that not as a negative thing or, you know, I'm bad, but just to see it as part of being human and, you know, how can we support each other in, in working through those challenges. So um, it's a, it's, as a teacher, it's a gift to be able to actually have the opportunity to engage with the children that way because it does require you having an open, you know, if you have a curriculum of things that you need to get to and check off the list, there isn't space and time to actually meet each child in that, mm. that realm. So right. um, it feels like a fortunate gift that we have. Mm. Ellie Barbeau, what has it meant to you uh, to be a part of the Humble Oak Folk School? Um, well, <clears throat> I feel like even before being a part of the folk school, I have to recognize the importance that it is to just be a part of the Humble Oak community. Um, again, I said that before, but we just went in, my husband and I as parents, and this was just going to be, we'd drop our four-year-old off, you know, hope she had a good day, let her play outside. That was, you know, really important to us, and she'd come home, and that was it. But it, Humble Oak has really gone so much beyond that. Um, I never, you know, you hear people say, well, you're, you know, find your tribe and find your community, and mm -hmm. that is what this has been, um, you know. It's been huge for us, and you can tell just by the other families and other, um, you know, people involved with the community that that's important too. That's the key, um, you know, the key cohesive energy with Humble Oak, and um, you know, so that's that's really the the heart of the importance to me. But to be able to, you know, allow that for my children, and then be able to um, be a part of Humble Oak you know, in the parent aspect, but also with the folk school to be able to broaden the reach of all of the goodness um, that Humble Oak 
wants to put out into the community, this folk school aspect can reach adults in such an important way and provide so much richness, um, you know, to the families and adults in the community. Mm-hmm. So. So if people want to contact the Humble Oak Outdoor Learning and, and Arts Collective to find out more, to perhaps be a part of it or support what you do or sign up for some of these uh, classes that are coming up, what is the best way for them to connect with you? I think through our website, humbleoak.org, and then we have um, the email address there that you can reach out, and we're attentive to that, and we'll get back to you shortly. So in that, it, within that website, it has a, um, a link to the folk school, so all of the information is, is there in that same space, and it's um, all, yeah. And we try to <clears throat> be very, um, you know, uh, present with social media now that's a really good way to spread the word into the community um, so you know with the folk school we are you know on Instagram at Humble Oak hmm. Folk School um, and the children's outdoor learning aspect has an, an Instagram page too but to kind of keep up to date on the events going on within the community Facebook and Instagram are a g- good way to kind of the daily the daily aspects but um you know going through the website to find out more about the children's programming and also um the folk school you can register for classes there too as well excellent Aaron Houlihan and Ellie Barbeau from the Humble Oak Folk School and Humble Oak Outdoor Learning and Arts Collective. Thank you so much for making the trip here to join us here on The Morning Show. It's been great to talk with you and great to hear about all that you are offering in in so many different ways. And very best wishes as you move forward from here. Thank you so much. That was lovely. Thank you. Good to have you here. Nan, I know you have a couple of announcements you want to share. I do. You know, our announcements are always very important. Um, And here's one of the most important, and this is an event you can take part in, in your front yard, your backyard, somewhere that it's nice and dark. And that event that's happening now is called the Geminid Meteor Shower. Um, It's supposed to peak tonight, but it will continue through December 24th. So if it's a clear night, get a little hot chocolate, get a little bundled up, go outside and look at the night sky, you should be able to see at least one shooting star, as we call them, um, an hour, if not more. Um, it's a wonderful thing to do. It, I think it just uh, is so awe-inspiring to see this happen. It transforms you back into a kid almost immediately, <laughs> and it's good for, for kids to get out there, too, and look at the night sky. Uh, then Riverbend Nature Center has their winter break camp. It begins December 26th and goes through December 29th from 9 in the morning until 2 p.m., Ages 7 to 12 are the um, age range for the kids. Um, It's $40 per day for members, $45 per day for people who are yet to be members. Space is limited. Um, And so registration is required. They do so many wonderful things. Uh, They're outside. They're hiking and and tracking and, and doing all kinds of cool things. So get your kids signed up. Just go to the website for Riverbend Nature Center to do that. Racine Dominican Eco Justice Center is having a winter solstice celebration on December 21st from 6.30 until 8 p.m. All ages are welcome. The event is free, but a suggested donation of $5 is uh, is is 
appropriate and most appreciative. Uh, you'll discover the wonders of winter in Wisconsin with a guided luminary hike. You'll learn about native Wisconsin winter birds and have a lot of fun with adult and family activities at the Solstice Celebration. The gift shop will be open for last-minute gift giving. Um, the hikes begin at 645 and then again start at 730 on the front lawn of the farmhouse. Uh, we'll have a candlelight passing and winter intentions meditation at the beginning of each hike, followed by the walking portion along the trail for those who are interested and able. Just go to the website. Uh, you don't have to register, but it'll give you all the details. Fantastic. Nan, thank you for all the morning shows you have helped uh, bring to us uh, in 2023 and years before and uh, on to 2024 we look forward to uh, uh, future Nan Calvert programs on the morning show. Oh thank you Greg it's my pleasure.